So Randy, if you come up and join us again, he's, he's been doing this for a lot of years. I'm gonna let him fill in, in on who he is. Um, again, I am thankful that you're here and I appreciate the fact that you're willing to come up and share with us. Wow. He's so cute. <laughs> hey, do me a favor. Turn to the person next to you. Just smile and say, you are the best looking thing I've seen all day. Just tell him, you are hot. Just tell him you're hot. Now, listen, <laughs> I do that because hopefully you're sitting next to your wife or your husband. And if you're not and you're single, hopefully you're sitting next to someone you wish was your wife or your husband. And if you're not and you're single, come back tonight at 6 o'clock and scope it out because I'll do it again. And sit in a good spot. I came across something I thought you might enjoy. You know, back in the day, you weren't allowed to go into the labor and delivery room. I've got four children. Uh, my wife and I have been married 35 years. I know I don't look it, but brown doesn't crack. So, <laughs> but, but we weren't allowed to go into the uh, labor and delivery room, and we had to wait out in the lobby back in the day. Well, I heard about these three fathers. They're out there in the, in the labor and delivery room. And the nurse comes out. She tells the first father, congratulations. Your wife just gave birth to twins. And he said, wouldn't you know what a coincidence. Wow, I played baseball for the Minnesota Twins. Well, he goes back to see his children. About 20 minutes later, the same nurse comes back, and she says to another guy, she says, sir, I don't know how to tell you, but your wife gave birth to triplets. And he said, isn't that a coincidence? I work for the 3M company. <laughs> About that time, the other father fell on the floor and started hyperventilating. The nurse ran over and said, what's wrong? He said, I work for 7-Up. <laughs> I thought that was cute. <laughs> you see, it's those things in life that hit us that we have no control over, but we do have a control on how we respond to it. I want to talk to you on wounds that heal. And I want to invite you back tonight, because uh, this is not a Christmas message. I was going to bring you a Christmas message until we got together last night, and we had some food together, and I started answering questions uh, out of the Bible to those that were here. And the Lord just spoke to me to go this direction. So, but tonight, I'll be speaking on God's travel guides, and I'm going to explain to you who the Magi were. It'll blow your mind. Many of you have no idea or concept who the Magi were. By the way, did you know that the Magi were the ones who were responsible for choosing the next emperor of the Persian Empire? And when they came looking for the, for the baby, they were looking for the next emperor for the Persian Empire. It's amazing what God does. But right now, get your Bible out and turn it on. And you're slow, but you're worth waiting for. 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 35, it'll be on the screen there. I want to speak to you about wounds that heal. For many of you, this will be a prophetic message, and you're going to understand why things are happening or why things have happened in your life the way they have. This is a wild story in 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 35. Now a certain man of the sons of the prophets said to his neighbor, by the word of the Lord, strike me, please. And the man refused to strike him. Then he said to him, because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, uh, turn this back up, Nick, because you have not reversed, you have not, thank you, because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, surely as soon as you depart from me, a lion shall kill you. And as soon as he left him, a lion found him and killed him. I think I would have stayed right with him. 
Verse 37, and he found another man and said, strike me, please. So the man struck him. Notice the wording, though, inflicting a wound. Then the prophet departed and waited for the king by the road and disguised himself with a bandage over his eyes. Look at verse 43. So the king of Israel went to his house sullen and displeased, and he came to Samaria. One translation says, heavy under conviction. Heavy under conviction. Now, as I told you, this is one of those random stories of the Bible that really has no lead up to it. God doesn't explain why it's there. He basically leaves it up to the reader to get out the little hidden diamonds that are laying embedded in the text. So let me give you some of those diamonds, uh, and not to drain the text, but to explain it to you. Because in the text, we're told that God instructs a prophet. The word prophet means a teller of the truth, a teller of the truth. And the Lord says, go and find somebody and ask them to strike you with a sword. Now, this is an amazing thing. Maybe a soldier and ask them to strike you. And the Bible says he goes to his neighbor and he says, thus saith the Lord, I want you to hit me with your sword. He says, no, I'm not going to hit you. I'm not going to do that. Can you imagine if somebody walked up to you on the street and said, thus saith the Lord, hit me. Just take me out. And you go, that's kind of random, you know. I mean, that's really random. I'm not going to do that. I remember when my parents would spank me. And my father and my mother, they said something to me that I always thought was a little, uh, across, a little cruel and unusual punishment. Because they would look at me and say, now, Randy, you asked for this. I said, what? <laughs> yes, you asked for that. Anybody else, other parents said that? You asked for this. Now, what makes you think that, Mom? Because you asked for this when you didn't do what I told you to do. You asked for it, and in your disobedience, now that you asked for it, you're going to get it. And I used to say, can we discuss it? Can we talk about it? And this prophet is standing there saying, strike me, hit me, thus saith the Lord, hit me with your sword, cut me. And the first guy says, no, I'm sorry, I won't do it. He says, okay, since you won't do it, I'm going to call a lion out of the forest. He's going to come eat you. And the lion starts to eat him. And while the lion is chomping on this guy, sure enough, he turns to another guy. And he says, strike me. And the second man says, you got it. <laughs> Without hesitation, I love it. He pulls this sword. Where would you like it, buddy? You know, I believe that it was a small town and word got out pretty quick. And he's thinking to himself, I really don't want to be a dinner for a lion. And then he strikes the prophet with his sword. Now, this story is really amazing. Because the story teaches us that when you see things in the Bible and when you experience things in your life that you do not understand, always remember to pause and take a long look at the situation because there are lessons to be learned from the things you don't understand. You have to learn to take things from God's perspective. And the first thing I want you to see from God's perspective in this story is that the prophet found another man rather quickly to accomplish God's plan. Rather quickly, God gave him somebody else. Friend, if you don't have the appetite for God's call in your life and what God has told you to do, if you don't love what God has given you, if you don't love your family, if you don't love your husband or your wife, if you don't love the life God has given you, if you don't take advantage of the, op of the opportunities and the open doors, when God says to you, I want you to do something, if you decide I'm not going to do it because I don't understand it, 
I, it's just so weird. I don't understand why you would have me do that, God. Well, if you do that, remember, God always has somebody else that he could raise up. And he wants you to know the moment you think you're all of that, or the moment you decide I'm not going to do something simply because I don't understand it, but I know it's God, but yet I'm questioning and, and I'm not going to be obedient. God says, if you just learn to obey me, I can use you. But if you don't want to obey me and learn to use me, then fast, I'll raise somebody up. I'll always have somebody else that will accomplish my plan. I want to use you. I, I can use you. I don't have to use you. I can always use somebody else. And I want to use you, but you have to be obedient. And the question is, will you obey God even in the things you don't understand? Will you obey God even in the things you don't understand? Well, Lord, I don't understand why I'm in this situation. Will you obey God in the things you don't understand? Well, Lord, why am I in this job? Well, Lord, why am I having to do this or that? No, the question is, will you obey him even in the things of life that you don't understand? And, and the Bible says the second man struck him, and notice the text, wounded him. He was visibly wounded. And the prophet was bleeding. He's bleeding so bad that he has to have bandages placed over his eyes. Then the prophet, after his wounds are dressed, went immediately and stood on the corner because God told him, go stand on the corner that King Ahab is coming with his entourage, and he's passing this way. And I want you on that corner. And now that he is wounded, now that he's been hurt and attacked, and now that he has bled, and now that he's been through the battles, he now has something about him that qualifies him to give the message to the most powerful leader in the nation. See, earlier he had the message, but he wasn't qualified to give the message until he had lived through the process. Listen, God is teaching the prophet, and he's using this as an illustrated sermon for all of the church. Friends, don't miss this. The prophet had to go through the qualification process, or the king would have never stopped and listened to him. God would give him a word. But God also says he was not qualified, positioned, and prepared to give the word until he had been wounded, until he had been hurt, until he had lived through some tears and some bleeding and some suffering and some emotional pain. He had to be tested to see if he would be obedient to be used by God. And it was the bandages that would get the king's attention. Oh, don't miss this. The king's in his chariot, Ahab, he's coming down the road. There are many people, I'm sure, standing there knowing the king is coming. And yet he stops because there's a man standing there who was bandaged and bleeding and bruised. And it was the bandages that caused the king to stop. It was the bruises, it was the hurt that got his attention. You see, so many times we think it's our talent that will bring people to us. And certainly that helps. I'm not against it, your education, we all need to get it. But when it really comes down to it, listen to me now. After 35 years of ministry, the sermons that reach people and touch people the most are not the ones that are filled with intellectual, or filled with intellectual thoughts or facts and theology. Those are important. We need those. They become a foundation in our life. But it's the sermons that have come out of my woundings and my hurts. The times I've been bruised. And I've walked through my message through the valley of the shadow of death. Those sermons have a weight. They have an anointing on them. They give me an authority from heaven because those messages have been birthed through a personal Gethsemane. 
Gethsemane is the garden that Jesus went to prior to going to the cross. It's not an, an accident that God leads him to Gethsemane. Because in Gethsemane, they would squish the olives to get the oil out. Gethsemane means olive press. And the oil was taken out in Gethsemane. And that's where you get the anointing. The anointing of the personality of God comes into your life when you've gone through something. The more broken you are, the more God can use you. See, we want a perfect life. We want no wounds. We want no hurts. We want beautiful families, no issues to ever hit us. And when it does hit us, we sulk and we sour and we give up. And we fail to understand that the anointing comes out of the crushing. And this prophet was wise enough to have the attitude that said, God, if this is what it takes, the wounds and the hurts for people to listen to me and for me to help somebody else because of what I have been through, if this is what it takes, Lord, to have a greater anointing, the anointing is the personality of the Holy Spirit. Lord, if this is what it takes to have your spirit work in my life, if this is what it takes, Lord, for me to reach other people, then God, take my wounds and use it to heal somebody else. Take what I've been through, God. Friends, please understand this deep biblical truth. God will always use your life's wounds to heal somebody else if you're willing. Oh, catch it again. God will always use your life's wounds to heal somebody else if you are willing. See, your wounds carry a message that men and women in a hurting world need to hear. It doesn't matter how hard they are. It doesn't matter how wicked they are. It doesn't matter how drunk they are. It doesn't matter how high they are. It doesn't matter how many lovers they have had or how many lovers they don't have. It doesn't matter. You see, when they encounter someone like you, but when they encounter someone like me who is speaking a word from the Lord and that person has been qualified and quantified by our wounds and our failures and our hurts and the heartache in our own life. But then they take that heartache and they bring it to the cross and they bring it to Jesus and they bring it to the altars of grace. And there's something about that that carries a weight of the anointing that has the ability to set other people free. When they look at you and they say, if you made it, I can make it. Your wounds that you bring to God for healing, he will turn around and use it to heal somebody else. You say, well, Randy, you don't understand. I've got a valid excuse on why I don't have to be a good dad. I've got a valid excuse on why I don't have to be a good husband or a good wife or a good father, or a good mother, because I've never had one of those. So that's my excuse. Well, you can look at it that way. Or you can stand up and say, yes, I've been wounded, but I've taken my wounds to Jesus. And he took my wounds to the cross. And he took my bruises and my deep emotional scars to the cross. And he covered me with his grace and his mercy. And his precious blood that was spilled at the cross of Calvary has covered me and has covered my shame. And three days later, the Holy Spirit invaded the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and raised to life again the three-day dead body of the Lamb of God. And when he came out of the grave, he came out of the grave with the keys of death, hell in the grave, and he brought me victory. He brought me peace. He 
then adopted me. I gave my life to Christ, and he adopted me, and now I stand on his promises as a joint heir in Christ. And God promises me in 2 Corinthians, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, old things pass away, and behold, all things become new again. And because of that, I now can break a generational curse. I can break the cycle, and my children, and my grandchildren, and their children can live a victory, a life of anointing, because what the devil meant for not, God has turned to good. If you believe that, I want you to clap your hands and praise him. Yes. And the moment you get saved, the moment you give your life to Christ, God then can turn the things around and he can transfer to your family, not pain, not suffering, but blessing and healing. And it cannot destroy you. Oh, friends, the delivering power of God is in this room right now. You say, well, Randy, you just don't understand how bad I've been hurt. You don't understand how bad I've been damaged and how bad I've been bruised. No, you don't understand that now you've been hurt and attacked and wounded. You can be highly effective in leadership and God could use you. See, we think our leaders have to be perfect and have lives that are perfect. And the people we listen to have to have it all together. <laughs> when in reality, sometimes you need to get around some people who have been wounded and hurt and made it through. They have fought the good fight of faith. They have stared the enemy in the eye. And they are still standing there by grace through the power of God. And they're saying you can make it as well. God wants you to know he can use that wound. He can use that scar. He can use that attack. He can use that pain of that divorce. He can use that sickness. You say, well, pastor, if I never got sick, then I wouldn't be in here if that ever came into my life. Listen, God doesn't bring sickness into your life. That's a result of the fall of the Garden of Eden. The very moment that Adam and Eve sinned and they made that willful choice, Scripture teaches that sin entered into the world through Adam and Eve. God doesn't bring it, gang. No, no, no. It's a result of sin. And God says, if you'll just bring me that wound, if you'll just bring me that hurt. Listen, if God allowed the wound, the attack and the hurt to come into your life and your family, if he allowed the sword to hit you, it's only so you can have a greater ability to communicate to somebody else and speak into their life. So you can say, I, I went through the same thing. That tragedy, that loss of a loved one, the early death of a child or a relative, God says, I can use that wound in your life. I can turn it around. I can bring it to other people. I can, you bring me the ashes. The Bible calls it ashes to gold. You bring me the ashes of your life. I'll breathe on it and bring gold out of it. Ashes to gold. And sometimes we think, I've been so wounded, Randy, I can't lead. We think, I can't worship God today. I can't even pray. I have no joy. You have no idea how bad I've been hurt because I've been hurt. I've had a hellish week. I can't lead others. I'm, I can't even sing. I can't get myself out of depression. How am I supposed to get somebody else out of depression? How am I supposed to do that? Because that's how God works. The Bible says, in my weakness, he is made strong. Moses... Yes, Lord, I want you to go to Pharaoh, your half-brother, Ramses II, who thinks he's a god, 
and I want you to tell him, let my people go. And Moses says, well, Lord, don't you know I'm on the run? Lord, I, I, I can't do it, God. I can't even speak. Lord, who am I going to say sent me, God? Lord, I'm, I'm inadequate. And God says, you just tell him I am sent you. Moses, you've been on the backside of the desert for 40 years. It's taken me 40 years to get you to the point where I can finally use you. Through all the pain, through all the heartache, through all the hurt, now you're at a point that I can use you, where I can get the glory. If you'll just let me use you, Moses, God will do great things and my people will be set free. God can use the hurts. There's another woman in the Bible that blows my mind. She actually comes out of incest. Her, her lineage is out of incest. In fact, she's a Moabitess. The Moabites were so evil that God put a curse on the Moabites. She is the great-great-granddaughter of a man that used to walk with God. His name is Lot. Lot is the nephew of Abraham. Abraham is the progenitor of our, of our whole faith. After God, really, Abraham is the beginning where everything started. And God had a, a relationship with Abraham. So because of what God did with Abraham, he passed down the blessing to his nephew Lot. And Lot was blessed beyond measure when he walked with God. But the Bible says that Lot, he began to look towards a place called Sodom and Gomorrah. And he made a choice to go live in Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah was an evil city. And the Bible says that the Lord saw what was happening in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he was going to destroy it. So he sent some angels where Lot was living, and he tried to get their family out. Listen now. But Lot was so caught up in the life there in Sodom and Gomorrah, he's really a very wealthy young man. We don't hear that Lot marries a woman prior to going to Sodom and Gomorrah, but now in this story, he now has a wife. So we know that he has now married a woman who lives in this wicked city, and his life is completely consumed by Sodom and Gomorrah. How do you know, Pastor? Because the angels find him at the city gate. The city gate was basically where all the business transactions took place. It's where all the leaders and the realtors and the bankers and the tax collectors and all the mayors, that's where they hung out. It's the place of political power. And Lot is sitting right smack in the middle of the city gate. He's now married a woman of Sodom and Gomorrah. Let me tell you how twisted Lot was. A man that used to walk with God, when the men of Sodom and Gomorrah see these angels they go and they knock on the house of Lot and they say, send those men out that we might have sex with them. And Lot is so bent in his thinking, he says, let me send you my virgin daughters instead. Now his daughters are listening. The angels pull them out of the house. They're taking them. They're about to destroy the city. And Lot's wife, who grew up in Sodom and Gomorrah, looked back on the city fondly, and the Bible says she turned to a pillar of salt. God used that as his illustrated sermon. Because the Bible says in 1 Samuel, God looks at the heart of man. He sees what your heart is. And he was watching a calcification in the heart of this woman. He knew how hard she really was. So God says, let me show you what I've been seeing on the inside. And he turns her outside into a pillar of salt. Oh, the story gets even better. Because now the city is destroyed and Lot's daughters, they think 
that all of humanity is gone. They're angry at their father because he said he's going to turn them over to these men. And the Bible says they get him drunk that night. I, see, I love the Bible because it tells you the good, the bad, and the ugly. They get him drunk that night, and they have sex with their dad. It's so disgusting. It's so coarse. But the Bible says that they do this act, and they are now pregnant. And the first daughter gives birth to a son, and she names him Moab, which means out of self. And the second daughter, she gives birth to another son, and she names him Amnon, warrior of self. And Moab and Am the Moabites and the Ammonites became the two most evil nations against the nation of Israel. They were born out of incest. But listen about God's grace. Several generations later, there's a lady by the name, and, and there's Elimelech, and there's his wife, Sarah. And there's a, a famine in Israel. And they go looking with their sons, Malon and Chilion. They go looking for bread. And they end up in Moab, and their sons marry Moabite women. One of the women they marry is named Orpha. The other woman, her name is Ruth. Oh, follow me now. See, Ruth's lineage is out of drunkenness. Ruth's lineage is out of hurt and pain. If you look at her lineage and, the, and where she's from, she's a Moabitess. There's a curse on that nation. But she comes to know God through a relationship with her new mother-in-law, Naomi. And she gives her life to God. And they're on their way back to Israel because the woman, all the men die in, in, in the famine. And the mother-in-law says, I'm going back to my home. I don't have any more sons to give you. If you want to follow me, you can follow me. Well, Orpha goes back. She walks out of the picture. We never hear from her in Scripture again. She literally decides to go back to bondage. And there are some people that they decide they'd rather be in bondage than be set free. And she turns around and she goes back. But Ruth looks at her new mother-in-law and she says this, Where you go, I will go. Where you lie, I will lie. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. And a young girl whose lineage is alcohol and drug addiction, whose lineage is, is incest, she comes out and she goes into Jerusalem. She goes into a new relationship with God. God makes her new, and God says, that's good enough for me, baby girl. Now I can put my plan into motion through you. And she meets a man out in the field by the name of Boaz, who is the kinsman redeemer. And he marries her. Oh, this story of Ruth is amazing. He marries her, and they begin a godly life. They begin a godly heritage. And when you read the lineage of Jesus Christ, you realize that Ruth is in the lineage of Jesus. How in the world can a young woman who came out of a cursed generation, a family that was so warped that God put a curse. How is it? Because when God steps in, he takes the ashes of your life. He takes the wounds of your life. And he says, if you'll just bring it to me in your weakness, I am made strong and I can use it. Listen to me. You're not the only one that's been wounded. So get rid of your excuses. Grow up. 
You're not the only one that the devil has shot at. You're not the only one that has gone through a difficult time. We all are wounded. We all have gone through hard times. There's not a single person in this room that hasn't gone through a difficult time. Listen, your children, your adult children can wound you. Your marriage can wound you. Your family can wound you. Your job situation can wound you. Bruises, uh, your business deals that go bad, they can wound you. An addiction can wound you. How about this one? Here's a big one. Friendly fire can wound you. People that you were at once so close with, and then something happens in the relationship, and, and now there's a wound that just won't heal. And I'm saying you may never get over it, but you will get through it if you will stay obedient and do what God tells you to do. If you'll keep walking with him, then God will, will move in your life. You say, well, pastor, I want God to take it away. Listen, some scars will never go away. Some wounds will never go away, but you will get through it. And you will stand victorious. And listen, you don't choose which sword comes your way, but you do choose how you react to that sword. And something's just hit you and you don't understand it. I'm going to be honest with you. Something's hit you and you don't get it. You don't understand it. You're innocent. You, don't, you, hadn't, you didn't choose it for it to happen, but it just happened. You will never understand it, but you can choose your response. And you can become an alcoholic, or you can become an overcomer. You can become bitter and sour and angry and unforgiving, and you can shake your fist in the face of God, and you can say, this is all a bunch of garbage and baloney, or you can say, like Job, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall go, but blessed be the name of the Lord. And you can stand and walk with Jesus and say, I don't understand it, but Lord, I trust you, and I know in the end, me and my entire family will be standing in heaven together in total victory because I'm not walking away. Let me give you a little insight in the Bible about two women who had choices to make, one who made a bad choice and one who made the good choice. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, there's a story of a woman, the daughter-in-law of Eli, the high priest. She's married to Eli's son, Phinehas, and she's in the process of giving birth. It's supposed to be the greatest day in her life. And as she's giving birth, a servant comes running into the labor and delivery room. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 4. And he interrupts the labor and delivery. And she's already having a difficult time, the Bible says. And he runs in and he says this. The Ark of the Covenant has been stolen by the Philistines. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was a gold box. In it were three things. Aaron's rod, which represents God's leadership. The Ten Commandments, which represent God's law. And the manna, which represent God's provision. God's law, God's leadership, and God's provision. It was the place where the Holy Spirit would dwell and sit on prior to Acts, the second chapter. And it was stolen by the Philistines. God's presence was no longer there. And they tell her, not only has God's presence been stolen, but your father-in-law, the high priest, the one who stands before God for the nation of Israel, he's now dead. He, he heard that the Ark of the Covenant was stolen he was sitting in a rocking chair. He was so overwhelmed with grief, he fell backwards, hit his head on a rock, and broke his neck. Then he says, and if that's not bad enough, not only do we not have God's presence, but we don't have anybody to go into the altar of God for us. Oh, by the way, your husband has died in battle. I mean, who let this guy in the room? Your husband has died in battle. Remember, you cannot choose the sword that hits you, 
You don't choose which wounds come into your life, but you do choose your response. And the Bible says she then is overcome with birth pains. The actual Aramaic is she is now on the verge of dying herself. She's overcome that the labor is too difficult. The baby's stuck in the birth canal, and they're trying to save the child. And she gives birth to the child, and the nursemaid comes and says, you've given birth to a son, what shall you name him? Now listen, in the Bible, they would name people based upon what took place in that day or that time. And she says, name him Ichabod, because the glory has departed. The name Ichabod means the glory has departed. And when she names him Ichabod, she went on to say, because the glory of God has departed my life, my marriage, my family, my nation, my church. There's no more happiness in my life. There's no more joy in my life. There's no more great things that are coming. So just name him Ichabod or what I'm presently going through. Listen, listen to me. She let her present negative wounds speak to the future generation. She passed down her negative wounds to the next generation. She could have very easily have said, well, let's name him. The glory will come again. Let's name him. God is the provider and he'll move again. No, no. She allowed her present suffering and her wounds to speak to the next generation. Listen to me, gang. You never allow your negative hurts and your wounds to name your future. Don't pass them down to your children and your grandchildren. Don't pass them down to your family. It's easy sometimes to get in a bad season, but you don't have to allow what's happening in your present to name your future. And she literally allowed her present circumstance to prophesy the fulfillment of her future. Can you imagine when that little boy would run into the family reunion? Well, here comes Icky. <laughs> it's all Icky's fault. In other words, she tattooed him with a negative future. Now let me give you someone who gave you the right choice. I was studying 1 Chronicles chapter 2 and verse 16. It's an amazing story. There's a miracle here that I want you to see because they are listing out the family of King David. You know, the, the great King David, the, the giant slayer, the psalmist of Israel. And they start out with his father Jesse, then his brothers. And verse 16 David's sisters are listed, and it gives us their names. The sisters of David were Zerah and Abigail. Then the scripture goes on to tell us Zerah's three sons were Abishai, Joab, and Hasiel. Now, again, it's very important to realize that names in the Bible carry great significance. They would name a child to mark an event or a life experience. The name Zerah in Hebrew means my wounds or my scars or my pain. And all the commentaries I read said it was widely believed that there was visible scars or visible wounds on this woman's body. We don't know why. We don't know if she was burned or injured as a child, but we knew and we know that she was carrying a lot of visible scars and wounds in her body or on her body. But something amazing happens through this woman because her offspring, her offspring were amazing men. They did not receive or transfer any of her issues to their life. And I can prove it to you because when you see who her three sons were, and this is why the Bible lists who her sons were, because the Bible wants you to know you don't have to pass your scars onto your children. You can get complete healing from it. 
Well, one of her sons was named Joab. Joab was the four-star general and commander of the army of Israel under King David. Remember, King David is his uncle. And Joab becomes one of the greatest warriors in the nation of Israel. The son of my wounds becomes a four-star general. That should make you want to shout. And Joab stood side by side with the great warrior King David in battle, helping David to lead the armies of Israel to the greatest victories and expansion in the history of the nation of Israel. He's listed as one of the greatest warriors in Scripture. The son of my wounds becomes a four-star general. The next son was Abishai. Well, what did he do, Pastor? Well, in 2 Samuel chapter 21 and verse 17, it tells us David was advanced in years. Well, that's a very nice way of saying David is old. David's an old dude. But yet in David's mind, he thought he could still fight. You see, that's what happens when we get old. I am now 57 years old. My mind tells me I'm 27. My body says, uh-uh. You ain't 27. I've got three sons. My first son, Christian, is 31. My son, Morgan, is 30. And my son, Quentin, is 26. They love to go work out. I think I can still outlift them. Uh-uh. But I try. And they kind of laugh and say, well, Dad, he's well advanced in years. And David was out in the battle. He's fighting the Philistines. The Bible says he's advanced in years. Actually, the Bible says he was exhausted. He's exhausted. And the giant knocks him down. He's about to cut off his head because this is the one that killed our champion, Goliath. And the giant is about to kill King David. Oh, listen to this. When suddenly from across the battlefield, a man comes running into the battle. It was the son of my wounds. His name, Abishai. He comes running to save his king. But not only to save his king, he's running to save his uncle, which tells us that we stand with family come hell or high water. And he's running into the battlefield. Now, if his mother would have transferred wounds and hurt and depression and self-pity and fear and worry, he would have never entered the battle. But when King David was laying at the, on the ground and the giant is about to cut his head off, here comes the son of my wounds. He gets between Uncle David. He gets between the psalmist of Israel. He gets between the anointed one and the enemy. And he says, over my dead body will you come against my king. Every man in the room hear me. When you become a child of God, sir, when you give your life to Christ, your new mantra is, devil, you cannot have my children. You cannot have my grandchildren. I am a child of the Almighty God. And you place yourself in the, between your family and the enemy, between your family and your pastor. Every time the devil attacks your pastor, you take it personal. Every time the devil attacks your children, you take it personal. And you come running to the battlefield. I fully believe with all of my heart that God gave Abishai the same anointing that rested on Samson. Because the Bible tells us this giant, his spear weighed seven pounds, or this, his spearhead weighed seven pounds. It was the size of a weaver's rod, about this big, the rod. The man's over nine feet tall. And yet this young man, the son of my wounds, he gets between the anointed and the enemy, and he kills the giant, and God gets a great victory. 
sir, it's time for the men of this church to run to the battle. It's time. And get between the enemy of this world and our families. This third was at uh, Ashiel. The scripture says he was the fastest runner in all of Israel. He's the greatest athlete in the history of the nation of Israel. So here is a woman whose name means my wounds, my pain. She's carried the scars and the wounds all her life, but has suddenly let them produce bitterness and pain and sorrow, depression and addiction and curses, low self-esteem and no confidence in her sons. She raises three champions for God in her household. One becomes a four-star general. One becomes a giant killer. And the other becomes the greatest athlete in the history of the nation of Israel. Don't tell me you can't do it. I know you've been wounded. If you're a single mom, if you're a single dad, I know you've gone through pain. I know you've gone through hurt, but God can use you. My closing question to you is this. What will your wounds produce in 2023? What will your wounds produce? Will they produce bitterness, unbelief, addiction, excuses and resentment? Or will they produce healing? And champions for God. See, because we all know from the Bible that God is always working our life out for good. He always is. But the question is, you have to bring it to him. And you have to let it go. Listen, I, so I'm not misunderstood. Friends, I really want to be used of God. We speak about 49, 50 weeks all over the country. Churches of thousands and churches this size. But listen, so I'm not misunderstood. I want to be used of God, but that doesn't mean I'm going to go stand on the corner and wait for a bus to run me over or ask God to hit me with lightning. No, that's not what I'm saying, so that I can preach better. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying is, since we're all in this battle together, since we're all going to experience hurt and pain, because Jesus said, in this life, you shall experience it. Why don't we make the choice right now to say, Lord, here's my wounds. Lord, here's my scars. Lord, here's my hurts. Here's my pain. I want you to take it and use it for your glory. I want you to make me a new creation, Lord. I don't want to live in the past. And Lord, in the natural, it looks like I'll never reach my children. Or we'll never see these things happening. Last night, we had a great conversation around the table. I was telling those that were here last night, I said, listen, you got to change your way of thinking. Because Satan will create a train of thought that so fits your way of thinking, you suppose it comes to your own line of reasoning, and the thoughts will come. I'll never get better. It'll never work out. And the moment that you accept failure as the reality, that's when a stronghold is created. Had this woman, Zara, accepted, look, my, these are my wounds, so I'm going to pass them down to my kid. A stronghold would then be created in her family. We would never have Joab or Abishai. We never would have had the victories that God gave. And this morning, you have a choice. How you will respond to the wounds in your life. Lord, I don't understand it. I didn't ask for it. But Lord, I'm going to ask you to move in my life. Here's my hurts. Here's my blood, sweat, and tears. Here's my worry. Here it is, God. Turn it for your glory. Turn it for your glory. Let me put a cap on this. 
At the beginning, we started talking about Abish, we started talking about Ahab, who was one of the most evil, wicked kings in the history of Israel. He's married actually to a woman named Jezebel, and I could preach a whole series of messages on Jezebel. She had the Jezebel spirit. The Jezebel spirit is manipulation, domination, intimidation. That's a whole other thing. But Ahab was completely ignoring this prophet. He knew this prophet had a word from God about his, a decision he had made earlier, so he's ignoring him. But he didn't recognize the prophet because the prophet was covered in wounds. It was the wounds that caught his attention. And when the prophet lifted that, thing, that, that bandage off his eye and the king looked, he said, oh my. You see, God has a way of getting your relative's attention and he wants to use your wounds to do it. And this prophet, he delivers the word and that's why in verse, verse 49 we read, the king was sullen and heavy under conviction because he heard the word of the Lord. He goes back, and the word of the Lord was simple. Because you have not obeyed me and you've led Israel down the wrong path, your kingdom is now taken from you. And the Bible says that his wife was thrown out a window. She's trampled underneath, and God turned the nation around. But it's amazing to me that God used the wounds of a man to bring a message to a leader. God will use the wounds in this church to bring hurt and healing, excuse me, bring healing from hurt to this city. If you're willing. If you're willing. Young man, I'm going to ask you to come play the piano just softly, just softly. Growing up in church, and I did grow up in church, and we had a woman in our church named Gladys Pearson. Gladys was a missionary that was sent home because she had severe arthritis. She was never married. And I used to tell her, Sister Pearson, you need a man. And she looked at me, she said, oh, I got a man. I said, you got a man? She said, I've got a man. The man I have opens doors that no man can open. And she'd go, woo. And she had a little bun, you know, and, and she'd get tuned up when the Holy Spirit would hit her. And she'd go, ooh, and that little bun would fall down the side of her head. It looked like a slinky. <laughs> Old Sister Pearson had a lump in her back, and she had gnarled fingers, and she had clawed toes because of severe arthritis. She walked with a walker. But when Sister Pearson came in the building, despite her wounds, the atmosphere would change. And if I was leading worship in the church I grew up in, we had a center aisle that, and had, that held up the balcony, those big columns that held up the balcony. And the center door would open, and I would see that walker pushed in, and I'd say, ooh, get ready, here come the Holy Ghost. And she'd slide into that walker. And please, it's not like God wasn't there. It's just when that chosen vessel came in, he took the remote control and hit the volume and the surround sound kicked in. Have you ever been in a room where the atmosphere changed? It's happening right now. See, I get to see your expression while I'm teaching and preaching, and I see the tears that are rolling. Sister Pearson would come halfway down the aisle. She would lean against the pillar that held up the balcony, and she'd say, Holy Spirit, I'm coming. 
The spirit is willing, but this old tired flesh is weak. It's been wounded. It's been broken. It's been hurt. She'd get all the way down to the front, and if you were sitting here in the front, she'd tap you on the shoulder and say, Baby, can you help me bend my knees? Mother Pearson hasn't prayed today. And we all knew that Sister Pearson prayed 24 hours a day, seven days a week. She would say, Take me to the far corner and lay me on my face. And I'd say, well, Sister Pearson, why don't you just come right here? She'd say, oh, you know nothing. And she would slowly in that walker, I'm telling you, her, her toes looked like claws from arthritis. And she had a huge bump on her back. Nobody would have ever said anything if she decided to stay home. In fact, the pastor told me, he said, Randy, I want you to take some parking cones and I want you to block off the first five parking slots in the parking lot for Sister Pearson. Because we never knew how she would park her car. <laughs> she would park it sideways. She would park, she'd bang into you. She didn't care. She'd say, I'm, I'm going to be with Jesus. And we'd lay her on her face. The Greek word proskania we get our English word prostrate. And we would lay her down, and there came a sound out of her, gang, that I'll never forget as long as I live. It wasn't scary. It wasn't intrusive. But it would cause my hair on the back of my neck to stand. And she would lay and go like this. Lord, I've been broken. I've been hurt. But I'm bringing it to you. And the presence of God would fill that place. Emmanuel is greater than Ichabod. And I didn't understand it until I went to seminary and I said, Lord, what is this emotion? that is so profound, there were no words to express it. And in seminary, I learned the Hebrew word for the word groan means a yearning and a longing for more of the Christ. The word Christ means the anointed one. That in her pain, in her brokenness, she was saying, Lord, only you can fix it. Only you can do it. And pastor, you're walking back there. I want you to walk right down this aisle, right here. I want you to lay hands on that woman right there, sitting next to that good-looking guy with the... Right there, right there. Stop, right there. Right, no, right, right there. Go back there, right now. You, go back there right now. Sis, I don't know the pain and the worry. I want you to lay your hand upon her. I don't know the wounds in your life, but I do know if you'll bring him to Jesus right now, he's about to heal you. He's about to take those things that have damaged and hurt things you've carried since childhood. If you'll just bring him to Jesus. God's about to bring restoration. Now, Chris, you stay there. Pastor, back up. And lay hands on that gentleman. behind. No, next, next one. Next one. Chris, you stay with her. Right there. Sir, I want you to lift your hands to the Lord. Just lift them. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, that as he lifts his hands, that, Lord, you would take the things that you've been dealing with in his life, breathe on it and bring ashes to gold. 
in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Do I know these people? Absolutely not. Never seen them a day in my life. Keep praying, Pastor. But I've been fasting. And I believe God gives us that word, that word to the, for this church. If you bring me the wounds, I'll turn it to gold.